The main point I want to talk about today is that we're all going to face a day of battle. Some are going to be bigger than others. All of us are having to overcome something and to grow stronger in who the Lord is and to learn to lean upon him. Hardship and adversity, troubles, trials, and tribulation will happen. And Proverbs 24, 7 says that if, you're, if you faint or falter or abate and back down in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, some of us here have small strength today. Hardship, difficulty, and those choices maybe that we've made or what other people have made are causing us to feel weak, inadequate, and feel like we can't go on. I know that because as a pastor, I deal with people who have lost their strength, their passion, their joy, their excitement, or continue to make bad decisions. And so what I want today is I want to help you to be strong and make good choices and decisions or learn how to respond when somebody else does something to you that hurts you, harms you, shames you, slanders you, talks bad about you, or comes against you. All of us are going to have that happen in one way, shape, or another. And it's important that we know how can we get our strength back? How can we walk strong and stand firm against hardships and difficulties that come against us consistently? So I don't want your, faint, your, your uh, strength to be small. I want it to be big. I want you to be mighty, and I want you to overcome, and I want you to step into the promises that God has for you without retreat. Amen? That's why I talk about the church needs to be an audience, not um, an army, not an audience. An audience is looking to be entertained, to have their ears tickled, and to give me a nice five-point message that tells me how to live better. What you don't need is behavior modification. What you do need is life, fire, strength, health, comfort from the Lord, and a real family to cheer you on. An audience is looking to be entertained and to feel good. An army understands that we all play a part together and we're on a mission to make a change in our community, in our lives, or in our own legacy with our family line. Some of you did not have parents that have served the Lord. They weren't Christian or they really didn't know what it meant to be a real Christian. Maybe they were weird religious. Maybe they were oppressive in the name of the Lord. Maybe they uh, kept you back from so many things that God really had for you, and they thought they were doing the right thing, but they weren't. Whatever it is, whatever your background is, whatever your situation is, what I believe is that if you'll flame on spiritually, come to know the Lord for who he is, you can leave a legacy in your children, you can get married to the right woman or man, and you can leave generations of promise behind you instead of a wake of destruction. All right? So if your parents and your grandparents have divorce, alcoholism, anger, temper, fighting, Whatever the, whatever the dysfunction is, you can break that, and you can live differently. Jesus wants you to live differently. I'm a testimony of it. Amen? So Proverbs 21:31 says that the horses are prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance comes from the Lord. What I want you all to know about that scripture is that there are always horses prepared against you. In the Bible, a horse represents man's strength, or chariots, or an army, or soldiers, horses, chariots, and they're all prepared for the day of battle against us. But real deliverance, real salvation comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from horses. And God wants you to understand that some people may trust in horses, some people may trust in chariots, but we remember the name of the Lord our God, which is Psalm 20, verse 7. And so the horses, the enemy, the lies, the deception, somebody's going to come against you to hold you back from stepping into the more that God has for you. The devil doesn't want you flamed on spiritually. He wants you to believe lies about the church, that it's man-made religion when it's not because it's a family led by Jesus the King. It's not my deal. It's our deal together with him. And so the enemy will work hard to keep you from flaming on spiritually. The minute you start to make advances, the minute you start to stand up for truth, the minute you start to believe in the supernatural, the minute that you get filled with the Spirit and start to walk in the gifts and the power of the Spirit, you better believe there's going to be some adversity. God wants an army, not an audience. And I'm thankful that you guys are here, and I know that you're all looking at me right now, but at the end of the day, this is not about me, this is about us, this is not about my monologue, it's about us having a dialogue. And today, whatever I say is designed to, to quicken you by the Spirit so that you'll get in the fight instead of abating or being less intense. And he, the enemy wants you to be quiet and passionate, or he wants us to be divided. He doesn't want you passionate. He wants us divided against each other. And so God wants us to be united. And that's only going to happen when we understand the mission that's in front of us, where we're going, and why we're doing what we're doing. 
So some people will trust in horses and chariots, but we remember the name of the Lord our God. Horses and chariots can be symbolic of your job, your finances, your own things that you might trust in in this world to bring you victory. And what I want you to know is money, stuff, wealth, jobs, career, anything of this life cannot bring you victory. The only thing that can bring you true victory is the name of the Lord our God. And whether you believe in Jesus today or not, wherever you're at, in spirit, at spiritually, what I want you to know is the Lord has loved you enough to see you through to this point. He's never failed you and he never will. He's, there have been many, many opportunities where he could have failed me. And there have been many times where I've cried out to the Lord in a crisis situation and he actually did deliver me. But what happened was in that moment of freedom and when I finally got out of my crisis, I ran right back to the way that I used to live. I call that crisis Christianity. Will God continue to deliver you out of crisis? Yeah. Sometimes he'll leave you in it a little longer to get you to the spot where you're really broken and desperate enough for him. But what I want you to really understand is that horses and chariots can't bring you freedom. So don't trust in your jobs, your careers, or your own ability. Trust in him. And understand that God has always been there. We remember the name of the Lord our God. Deliverance comes from him, not from our own strength, our, our own guns, or our own nine millimeters, and our own stuff. And I'm a pro-gun guy. But my Savior's not my gun. My Savior's Jesus. And he's the one that I look to. And I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that, that feels like I have to do it in my own strength because I've already learned through lots of hardship that I can only do it in his strength. And so Jeremiah 12.5 talks about contending with foot soldiers and that if you can overcome the everyday struggles and battles of your life, God will promote you to much bigger battles. And if you can't contend with the everyday struggles and challenges in your life, how can you go where God wants you to go? So your family will come against you. You'll have difficulties at home. You have difficulties with, with uh, society around you telling you that you're crazy and you shouldn't be that kind of person. You don't need to be so spiritual. You don't need to be so intense. Uh, whatever it is, gossip, slander, people talking trash about you. Uh, there's all kinds of adversity that can come against you. But the truth is it's only foot soldiers. God wants you to stand before nations. He wants you to stand before mayors and city councils, government officials. And if you can't overcome these everyday battles in the land of peace, how can you overcome when the going gets really tough and you're called to have greater influence? And so the land of peace can be right now. And so we struggle in our marriages and our homes and the society around us, but it pales in comparison to what, what is coming and what other nations are going through. It pales in comparison. And so... When you learn to deal with the foot soldiers, God promotes you to the horses. When you learn to be able to not be wearied in the land of peace, God takes you to the Jordan River Valley. And in the Jordan River Valley, there's a lot more hardship and suffering and difficulty, but the truth is it's actually a promotion. And as much as I'd love to tell you you're going to live this nice, comfortable Christian life, that's not a reality. Now, you can try to live like that, but that's not the way God's called you to live, and you'll never be comfortable there. So for me, I had to answer the call that God had on my life, or I'd have been miserable. My wife and I were living in a little beach house in Port Aransas with 40 palm trees right behind the Whataburger. I had my 15-foot Boston whaler. I fished the jetties with, with her while we're catching tarpon and watching manta rays swim around our boat and living a great life drinking coffee and riding our fat tire bikes. And I know that sounds pretty awesome, and I do enjoy those things. At the end of the day, that's not my call. And at the end of the day, I was called to drop my nets and leave my boat behind. Just like the disciples were, and just like you are. And so, as much as I would like to have another place in Port A, and I love to fish in the jetties and catching tarpon and drinking coffee, that's not the call of God on my life. The call of, my, of God on my life is much bigger, and had we stayed there, we would have been miserable doesn't mean you, there's people that live there and then have that life. But what I'm saying is, is you've got a greater call than living for yourself. And my trust is not in my own peace or my own stuff or my own money or my coffee shops. It's not even in this church. My trust is in him. And the day of battle, I'm going to describe it to you. The day of battle, it could be any kind of adversity or hardship that you're having to overcome. And so there is an enemy. He hates you. 
and he's got his horses arrayed, but the Lord is my strength. If God is for me, who can be against me? And the answer is no one. Or if God is for me, what can man do to me? And the answer is nothing. And so, you know, the teenagers and the high schoolers and the young adults, some of us that have lived a long life, we've, we all have to overcome adversity and hardship. And in the overcoming, you get stronger. And you learn that you can't do it in your own strength. You will learn it eventually. You can learn it the easy way or you can learn it the hard way. And the hard way is being resistant, trying to do it in your own strength, not believing, not trusting, not knowing. And the devil wants you to live a life where God's not ever present in it. He wants you to live like a Christian agnostic. And a Christian agnostic lays claim to believing in God, but God doesn't actively get involved in my everyday life. And that's a deceptive lie. It's a deceptive lie. The Lord wants to be actively involved in your everyday life. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what he does is he blinds you to not see what God's doing, but God's always reaching out and wanting to show himself strong to you. So we don't walk in fear. We understand that the devil's a liar, and you learn to overcome these small battles that you're going through. For some of you, I know they feel huge, and you feel like you could die, but what I want you to know is that you're not going to, you're going to make it, and you can overcome it, and God's got much bigger things for you. In this scripture in Jeremiah 12, it talks about contending and growing weary. Some of you may be contending and feeling very weary right now, and that's why I'm preaching this message. And I'm also preaching it so that you'll be proactive and not reactive, where you don't live your life in constant crisis. Okay? So the day of battle is defined as the day that you fight for your freedom. The day that you finally decide, I don't want to live the way I've been living anymore. I call it the day that you hear the pop. You know what the pop is? It's the sound of your head popping out of your rear end. Now, I, say it, I don't say it that nice outside of church, just so that you know. But the point is, at some point, you come to realize, I can't do it on my own anymore. I'm tired of living this way. And for me, it took prison and broken relationships and divorce and hurricanes and trauma because and, I'm stubborn and hard-headed. And what I want to tell you, stop being stubborn and hard-headed. The life that Jesus has for you is awesome. Come to the realization that you cannot do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. It takes total surrender and trust in him. And if you'll trust him and not give up, I promise you God will do the rest. I promise you. So you got to fight for your freedom. Jesus already fought and won it on the cross. Now you got to grab hold of it and start to live it and believe it. It's the day of battle. The day, it's the day that you fight for the freedom of others when it's not just about you. About 100 yards from here, I, I can assure you there's probably a child being molested or abused or neglected. In this whole community, fatherlessness is rampant. Child abuse is rampant. Drug addiction, rampant. And we can't be a church that just turns a blind eye to it and hope that it gets better. God calls us to be the answer to the injustices. Yeah. And so at some point, you've, you get free so that you can fight for the freedom of somebody else. The day of battle is the day that you fight for your country. It's the day that you fight for your nation or other nations. It's the day that you set captives free from oppressors. It's when you fight for the voiceless. Because there are children and there are unborn children that don't have a voice that we're called to fight for. And 46 years ago, the church was silent but not today. In fact, the issue of abortion is more prominent and the pro-life movement is growing stronger than it's ever grown and God will raise up churches like this where women that have had abortions can come and not feel shame and actually get healed because many women in this church have confessed abortion, even leaders, and now there's no shame and there's no hiding, instead there's freedom. And imagine the millions and millions and millions of women that have had abortions that have felt shame instead of feeling love and acceptance and care in the Father's heart. And that's what real family does. In fact, God's army is really a family of mamas and papas and people that love well, that aren't going to beat you over the head with a Bible, but are going to really, really treat you like sons and daughters and real family. 
and encourage you and strengthen you and comfort you. And so in this day and age, the church is going to raise up and make its voice heard, and Rock City will be a part of that. And so the day of battle is fighting for the voiceless. The day of battle maybe doesn't have to be so spiritual for some of you. Okay, the day of battle could be simply fighting for the promises of God for your life and your family. Sometimes it's fighting against unjust decisions made by an employer or a teacher or a school board at school for your kids. Sometimes it's standing against oppression in your own life at work. Sometimes there's injustices where people just don't like you and are shady and trying to step over you to get their promotion, and God gives you boldness and confidence to stand up against that. Sometimes it's fighting for a new job. Sometimes it's fighting for a promotion. Sometimes it's fighting for a new car. I said to Nicole yesterday, she, her cars broke down. I said, will you start believing with me for another car? She goes, you got it. Because if I can get her to start having faith for it, I, be, I can assure you that car will come. But if you just have a laissez-faire, well, oh, it's no big deal, and then you get ticked off. If she gets it and you don't get it, that's a problem. Instead, we celebrate and we start to believe with faith for ourselves and with each other. So the day of battle can be you believing that God has the best for you and fighting for it. For us, it was the selling of our house and stepping into this new home that we've got. It was a promise to my wife. She dreamt about it for years and years and years, and she was discontent where we were. But she learned to be as patient as she could, and at the end of the day, God showed up. Sometimes it's fighting for your own peace and sanity when you're facing death. Sometimes it's the most difficult of situations in your everyday life, but you learn to contend and believe and fight for it. It's the day of battle, and the day of battle is every day. Sometimes they're bigger, and I can assure you, when you overcome the little ones, God will take you to the bigger ones. So when you think about the scripture in Jeremiah 12, if you overcome foot soldiers, God will take you to battle an army. If you overcome when you have peace in your life, then God will actually take you to greater adversity in the floodplain of the Jordan, where, tiger, or where lions, and, lions and tigers and bears can be. Lions and tigers and bears. Okay. Come on, guys. I'm going to get you guys dialed in. I don't know if you got too much sleep or you woke up too early. The time change means nothing for me. My kids were up at 5.50 today. Oh, the time change. If you got kids, all that means is mis more misery. No. It's not misery, but I did want that extra hour of sleep today. I'm telling you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. I love you enough to know that hardship and adversity and difficulties come, but I want to give you the tools, and the tools are not... And I can give you a bunch of great practical tools, and even the practical can be spiritual, and I'll give you one today. But what I really want you to do is understand Jesus loves you, he cares about you, and if you'll set your love upon him, he'll deliver you. But we have all of our formulas. Now, if I can get you to just pray enough, worship enough, go to church enough, be a good person, if I can give you all these five steps of how to overcome, you'll do that, and then you'll be free. And it doesn't work like that. And when I think I've got my formulas figured out, God just comes in and messes it all up and says, you just thought it was because you did the right, but it's never because of your righteousness, Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9 was a promise to me for this city and to come here. He said, I'm going to go over the Jordan into the promised land as a consuming fire, and you're going to face giants and cities with, with uh, walls to the sky, and they're way bigger than you, by the way. And don't think that you overcome them because of how righteous or all your five steps and you worship more, you got accolades because you went to church. He only does it because he loves you and he hates wickedness and he drives it out and he uses us to do it and he goes before us as a consuming fire. The day of battle can look like many things in your everyday life and in the end we all have a battle to fight both personally and corporately together. So how do you go from small strength to great strength when you need it the most? And when it seems as though an army of adversity surrounds you on all sides and that the horses have been prepared for the day of battle against you, what do you do? And so I love this scripture. This scripture sums it up pretty good. Psalm 147 verse, Psalm 140 verse 7 says that, O oh God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. 
And I want to talk for a moment about the Lord God who covers our head and our salvation in the day of battle. To cover your head literally means that he's covering your mind and your thought life. So when the enemy would try to bring terror or panic attacks or fear or slander or worry, you now have the mind of Christ that's covering your head. To cover literally means he blocks, he shades, he hedges in, he hems in, and he defends and he fights and he protects for you. That's what that means. And so to understand the God our Lord is to understand the three, these three names, Jehovah, Yahweh, and Elohim, are all wrapped inside these words. And what it means is that God is fully self-sufficient and in need of nothing. He's the great I am. He exists independent on his own. He has full authority, full power. He's the supreme God and the Lord of hosts over all. But what he really wants to do is get into your life. He doesn't need you, but he loves you. And the minute we come to that self-realization that God is the one that fights on my behalf, and if I will stand in position and look to him and make him the strength of my salvation, literally he'll cover my head in the day of battle, and I won't walk in fear, and I won't retreat, and I won't cave, and I won't run to getting high, and I won't run to getting drunk, and I won't run to checking out or numbing out or running away or fearing or abating. I won't abate. It literally means that I'll be more intense. It means that I'll be more intense. The word salvation here is the word Yehovah. Um, I'm sorry, Yah- uh, Yeshua, thank you. It's the name for Jesus in the Old Testament. It means deliverer. It means savior. It means protector. Jesus was everywhere in the Old Testament. And the Lord said, look, I am your deliverer not the things of this earth or this world or even another counseling session. And I get it. We want more inner healing, we need, and we could have roots and things in our life that are producing bad fruit, but if you don't have lordship, you can't disciple somebody that has no self-discipline. That's why I got to get you to Jesus, because if you can get to Jesus, I promise you, you can walk in great freedom. You don't have to give into the cares and the affairs of this life. So the Lord covers your head in the day of battle, so it's not me that's fighting. It's him that's fighting for me. Okay? In the day of battle when you need him the most, and in your most difficult challenges, and in your darkest hour, or on the cusp of your biggest breakthrough, Jesus will fight on your behalf. Psalm 27, verse 3. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. So an enemy will encamp and war will come spiritually to keep you back from the promises of God for your life or for others. But David said, I'm going to be confident and I'm not going to walk in fear. And he said that because of verse 1. In Psalm 27, verse 1, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? And the answer is no one. And you're not afraid of the economy and you're not afraid of the presidential race and you're not afraid of politics and you're not afraid of the great divide, because the, the more our country gets divided, the more God will raise up bright lights like us to be answers. People are disenfranchised, we're polarized, and we're distant from each other because people don't really know how to love the way Jesus loved, and we love conditionally. And we don't read our Bibles, and we don't know the truth, and we get bored when we come to church. I don't know, if you bored during that worship, you got to be dead as a doornail. That's all I got to say. You say, why does it have to be so loud? Why does it have to be so intense? Well, you know, back in the day when I drank nine shots of tequila at the, at the reggae club, I wasn't too concerned about how loud and intense I was, and neither were some of you. And when you understand how much you've been forgiven, you can't help but be loud. And this is a loud church, and it's not, it doesn't... It's not loud. It's not loud based on personality. And my wife says I'm so loud all the time. You know, to be strong or strength literally means that I'm loud, but I'm not loud in the context of just being loud in my personality, though she's like, You're so loud. Everything you do is loud. Everything you do is loud. I'm like, Well, you married me. I don't know what else to tell you. Here we are. You know, you married me. But loud is spiritual. 
Loud in the context of I'm not going to be silent. Loud in the context of I'm, I'm expressive and extravagant because I know what I've been forgiven of. I know actually how jacked up I really was. And then I come in and I'm still as, as desperate and in some areas jacked up. So I'm just going to worship even more than I worshiped before. I'm not loud and crazy because I have it all together. I'm loud and crazy because I'm desperate upon the one that's actually the head of my salvation. I also know what singing and worship does. And I'm going to show you uh, in 2 Chronicles 20 about Jehoshaphat today. Okay, I'll show you that here in just a moment. But John 1.4 says that in Jesus' life, and that life is my light, is the light of men. So without him, I'm dim and dark and ineffective, but with him, you become everything. So the devil wants you consumed with your personal life, your own affairs, and to lean on your own strength instead of leaning on him. And then when the going gets tough, we start toking, drinking, sleeping, running, and doing all the, the, the stuff that only hurts us all and our kids in the end. So at some point, we stop. Isn't that right? At some point, we realize, I just can't stay on the crazy train any longer. I'm getting off. And we stop the Aussie button. Because you will go off the wheels, I can assure you. That, that train car will combust. <laughs> the Lord's the light of your salvation. He's the strength of your life. Now, you can't behavior modify this. It only comes through internal transformation. That's why you got to get born again. Going to church won't get it for you. My message won't do it to you. Another podcast won't get it for you. Another worship song won't do it. You've got to surrender your life to Jesus. Yeah. Mark my words. You get the best life is a surrendered life. The best life is a surrendered life. You say, well, I don't want to be like that weird religious person I used to know or in my family line. Well, then don't be. You don't have to be. Because you're not conforming to a man you're conf uh, on this earth. You're conforming to Jesus. And he is awesome. And he's strong and he's powerful. And he's full of life and love and liberty and freedom. And then Psalm 18 says he'll take you into a broad place because he delights in you. So every dream you have for your future, whether it's marriage, your children, your finances, if you'll put it inside the Lord, God will flip it and then bless your life because he loves and cares about you, not for any other reason. But you're going to have to overcome adversity and hardship and not go through it alone. I know I'll let you down. She'll let you down. This church is imperfect. In fact, this church has been labeled a manger, which means there's lots of animals and stinky poop and corn flying all around. But you know who was born in a manger? That's why it doesn't have to be so perfect. In fact, sometimes a little bit messy is a good thing because we find Jesus right in the mess. I'm going to read to you just some of the heroes in the Bible that faced great adversity and overcame, and it's just like the littlest, bittiest, narrowest list. <coughs> Noah and the flood, Abraham and the promise, Isaac for the birthright, Jacob and his patience for Rachel, Moses at the Red Sea, Joshua at Jericho, Deborah and Yael destroying Sisera and Jabin, the Canaanite. Gideon and the Midianites, Samson and the Philistines, Ruth and the kinsman redeemer, Hannah and Samuel, David and Goliath, David and Saul, and then Hebron and then Jerusalem, Solomon and the blueprints to build the temple from his dad, the widow and the prophet, Elijah and the widow who thought she, her and her son were going to die until the prophet shows up. Elijah and Jezebel, Elisha and the mantle, Daniel and the Babylon king, and the list goes on, and the greatest one that ever faced adversity harder than anyone ever did and overcame was Jesus in the cross. And before he went to the cross, he's in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, and literally he's weeping and crying out to God, and the Bible says he was in full-scale agony. And he even said, Lord, if it's... if." This cup could pass by, let it pass by, but nevertheless, let your will be done. And sometimes you're going to say, I can't take it anymore, but God says, I can. Yeah. 
And sometimes you say, I can't die anymore. And God says, yes, you can die a little bit more. Just look at my son. And so many great pioneers have gone before us, including our Savior, who died on the cross, faced the greatest adversity and overcame. Now, because he overcame, you can overcome. So it's not in your own strength. It's not in your own power. It's not in your own might. It's by his spirit that you do it. It's not religious conforming. It's not more Bible studies. And I'm not against those things. My point is, is that you can't behave or modify yourself. You can only surrender and die now. Just die now. I saw somebody drive, driving around here on the bluff has this prophetic message on the front of her Jeep. Some of you may know who she is or he. Probably not in the context of this message, but it's a message for me. And it's got these big white letters that says, have you died yet? I see her, them driving up and down Waldron Road. I'm like, I think so, but if I need to die some more, okay. Because it's not about me. And if I live this life about me and my stuff and my possessions and my careers and my money, or even just about my own kids, I'll create a world of dysfunction and I'll never fulfill the call of God on my life. I knew before I was born again I was called to help people. I just didn't know how. Everyone here is called to help somebody. Let's talk about Jehoshaphat for a moment. Second Chronicles chapter 20, this is an awesome story. We'll read the first four verses. Second Chronicles chapter 20, starting at verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they're in En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. Now when Jehoshaphat feared, what I want you to see is that sometimes fear can creep in and sometimes you can feel like you are going to die, and sometimes you feel like the adversity in the army against me, I can't overcome it. But I, what I want you to see is how Joseph, Jehoshaphat responded even when he was afraid. He said, uh, it says he feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord. That's the first thing. In the midst of every battle and all adversity, seek his face, seek his word, seek his answer. When we got news about Eden, our daughter, passing away in Amber's stomach and that she was going to be a stillbirth baby, and we had 37 hours that we had to wait to induce labor, I called Brad McClendon. Right away when we got the news, we're crying, we're weeping. Brad says this to me. He says, look for Jesus. And, and I'm telling you that in adversity and hardship and difficulty and people coming against you, you've got to stop. Even if you're afraid, you've got to stop and seek the Lord and look to him. He's your deliverer, and don't believe the lies and the shame. He rescued you many times when you didn't even know him. Trust me. Or some of you'd be dead right now. Okay? So he sought to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast in all Judea. So Judah gathered together to ask for help from the Lord. I want you to notice they gathered together to ask for help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So everybody decided in the midst of great battle and great conflict, instead of freaking out, being afraid, being worried, pulling all our money out of our bank accounts, conspiracy theories, division, hunker down, end time preppers, let me, let me build a fortress and protect myself, what did they do? They came together to seek the Lord. Now, probably my, one of my favorite verses in this whole chapter is not so much that he sent the worshipers out in front, which I'll show you. It's probably verse 13. Look at that scripture. Now, all Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. Because this can't be about me. It's decentralized leadership. It's about us. I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without me, and we need each other. That's why God has a body. And it's not just going to be a Rock City thing. Mark my words. 
the churches of the city will get unified or the ones that are in it for the wrong reasons will get flipped and switched in it for the right reasons or God will shut it down. That's how that'll work. So the best thing we can do is build a family that has understanding that's in position for whatever it is that's coming. Now, I'm not a doom and gloom guy, and this isn't a Dionysus message. I'm, in fact, I'm extremely optimistic, and I'm super fired up that I get to be alive at this time, and I get to be alive with you. And the darker it gets in this world, the brighter my light and your light will shine, and the more power we'll have, and we'll actually see God move in, in incredible ways with power and signs and wonders. And it's going to be awesome. And it'll be fun. It'll be hard, but we'll, we'll all get to see the greatness of the Lord. And so they all stood, all the children, the wives, the women, the men, everybody together stood. And then the, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon uh, one of the soldiers, and he starts to prophesy. And I want you to look in verse 15 and verse 17. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, it says that uh, this guy stood up and started to prophesy, and here's what he said. He said, listen, that's the first thing we need to do is Listen. All of you, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, don't be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude because you could never got, have gotten yourself to where you're at and you can't get yourself out of it. The battle belongs to the Lord. but I have to stay in position. Look at verse 17. He tells him to go down against the enemy, but look at verse 17. You're not going to need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Let's all say this together. Say, I'm going to position myself. And I'll stay in position. No matter what comes my way. I've had a lot of good reasons to want to quit. Haven't you? But actually, I don't actually have to fight man's way. I fight God's way. And it doesn't mean if a, if a criminal breaks into my house in the middle of the night with a gun that he's not going to meet my 9 millimeter, and I'll be in the spirit. And I'll do all I can to bind and pray and cast out the devil, but if he keeps coming and I got my kids sleeping in the house, we're going to have a problem. Some people don't like that, but... Uh, at the end of the day, we are called to watch out and protect our family and our children, but I'm not fighting the, the traditional way that man fights when it comes to overcoming struggles and battles and challenges. We fight God's way. And so it says you're not going to need to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who's with you. So what does it mean to stand still? To stand still means I'm not retreating, running. That's first. I'm not assuming the worst. Most of the time, the fears that come against you are lies. And if I'll stand still and trust in the Lordship and, and stay in a rested position and not freak out, fall into depression, get on Facebook and rip, rip somebody a new one and try to fight my own way, if I'll stand still and stand in position, guess what you get to see? You get to see Yeshua. You get to see Jesus move on your behalf, who's with you, all right? And then what happens? Jehoshaphat marches out to battle, and his battle strategy wasn't to put the army in front. His battle strategy was to put the musicians and the singers in front. So let's look at verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. So you said, well, man, worship was so aggressive today. Well, is it possible that while we were dancing and shouting and worshiping that God was setting an ambush against your enemy when you couldn't see it? It's possible. That's why the Lord doesn't want you to worship. And that's why in the midst of adversity and hardship, if you will sing and worship and praise, then God will begin to move on your behalf. And more often than not, he's doing something in your own heart to prepare you for who he is, but he's also fighting your battle. So we sing the song today, this is how I fight my battle. And I'm shaking the, you know, uh, bells and playing the tambourine and shoot, blowing shofars. And somebody's going, man, this church is crazy. When you don't really understand the battle that's at hand and what we're facing. And the devil wants nice, comfortable, 
institutionalized churches that just aren't a little so loud. And we're going, man, this, is how I, this isn't how I was raised. I want to go back to my traditions. Let me tell you, traditions are dead. And I'm saying to you that, look, God's doing something new. You can't be about style and preference. It's not about your conscience being appeased. I get it. It looks silly. It's, we're like a, a bunch of fools. I mean, it's like you're just so, why in the world? I mean, that church. I'm like, you know what? I'll be a fool for Christ. I mean, I just, I don't, I could try to contain it and manipulate it and maintain it and make it my way and make it really pretty so lots of people will come and will be really popular. Or we could be really extravagant and be who God's called us to be, even if it's messy in a manger. Because Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. And right above our new stage in our new sanctuary, stamped on a big giant steel beam is the word Bethlehem that we did not put there. We have a picture of it. This is his manger. And this is a place where lots of animals can come. And get converted to not be animals anymore. That's, that's what we want. You don't stay an animal, all right? You don't stay an animal. But, but the minute that you want to make it pretty and make it nice and make it your way and make it sound good and not be offensive, it's going to be offensive one way or another. The word alone is offensive. Telling somebody that you need to be born again, they're going to get offended at that. I mean, you're not going to win with the non-offensive thing. I don't have to be intentionally offensive, and I don't want to be intentionally offensive. But what I want to do is make you aggressive in the way that you worship, in the way that you pray, in the way that you fast, in the way you seek his face, in the way that you're dependent. What I want to do is break off this world system thing that, that you feel like your money and your jobs, and I'm not against money and jobs. I have 20, over 20 employees. I own several coffee shops that'll do about a million dollars in gross revenue in one year. That's a lot of coffee and a lot of gelada. It's a lot of gelada. That's a lot of $4 cups of gelato. I'm, not a, I'm, I, I'm all for being prosperous. I want you to be prosperous. The Lord wants you to be prosperous. But until you get the main thing, the main thing, you'll all be, always be chasing the wrong thing. And until we die to self and we start to live for him, God, we're not going to see the more God has. But once you do, once you get it, watch out. The Lord delights in the prosperity of his children. Again, Psalm 18, he takes you to a broad place. That means an expansive, wide-open place because he loves you. How about David and Goliath? Here's an awesome, I know you all have heard the story. Some of you haven't heard it for a while, maybe never heard it. But check this out. When the, when the, when Goliath, the uncircumcised Philistine, the giant, was taunting Israel, David steps up to the plate, and he says, in a sense, your taunts mean nothing, and I'm going to cut your head off, and the birds of the air are going to pick your brains out. I mean, God's a pretty nice guy, though he, he killed a few people. But you know why he said that? Because look... He, he openly responded, and then he said this for everyone to hear in 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. David said this, when the victory comes and Goliath is defeated, he said that all of the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give it into your hands. Isn't that powerful? So God doesn't save with sword or spear. The battle belongs to him, and he's the one that will give the enemy into our hands. Who's the real enemy? The real enemy is not ISIS, though they are an enemy. The real enemy is demonic forces playing ISIS like puppets to be pawns in the devil's plan. The real enemy are people 
the pimps and the drug dealers and those that have no care for life because they don't have life themselves that become enemies. But the real enemy is the spiritual force. And so when God brings the freedom, he does it so that the, the whole assembly, all of us would know that the Lord doesn't do it with sword or spear. He, he does it with unconventional spiritual warfare. I'm going to just tell you this in Judges chapter 5. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story of Deborah because I love the story of Deborah so much. If anybody thinks that a woman can't be a pastor, well, then you should just take out all of Judges 4 and Judges 5. Because Deborah was a leader in Israel a long, long, long time ago. She was a shepherd, a pastor, and a mother in Israel. Now, to set the stage for you, I'll read to you the first few verses of Judges chapter 4. In Judges chapter 4, it says that the children of Israel again did, did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. Commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Hagoyim, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So here's what was happening. The Israelites were worshiping other gods. They were uh, living completely contrary to God's design and God's plan. They were sold into slavery, and Sisera was, and Jabin, the king of Canaan, was harshly oppressing them, harshly oppressing them. So the children cried out to the Lord, and God raised up a woman to deliver them. And in Judges chapter 5, once the, once the freedom came, once Sisera and Jabin were destroyed, Deborah sang this song in Judges chapter 5 with Barak, and she said this, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Ebenoam, sang on that day, saying, <coughs> When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. And there comes a point where we all willingly offer ourselves and we make the sacrifice. It's a lot easier for me to not go to events, to not go minister to somebody, to not rescue a marriage. It's a lot easier for me to not have to preach or even be a pastor, but I'd be miserable in it. And so there's this point of willing yourself, uh, offering yourself willingly without compulsion. And when leaders lead, the word for leading means when they stood up and answered the call and they didn't shrink back and abate. It means they leaned in to be who they were called to be. And so when leaders lead in Israel, bless the Lord. Look at this. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I'll sing praise to the Lord. Verse 4. The Lord is my light and my... Well, wrong truth. It's all right. Verse 4, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, Anath, in the days of Yael, the highways were deserted. The travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. The people had chosen new gods. And there was war in the gates, not a shield nor spear was seen among the thousands of Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Let me summarize this for you. Sisera had 900 chariots and horses, and they were harshly oppressing Israel. Israel was worshiping other gods. They had no armor. They, had, they were totally in oppression. And what happened was Deborah arose and summoned Barak, who was the military commander. Barak also was living oppressed and not doing anything about it until Deborah rose up and did something about it. And that's why we all have to rise up and do something about it and not just be silent. And that's why God's raising up women in these last days that will be the bride, a really good reflection of the bride and the power inside a woman. And so the people were being oppressed. It was brutal. It was harsh. Sister was oppressing. His name, Sister, actually means battle array. So this guy was always taunting, always oppressing the Israelites. So 
So Deborah rises up, summons Barak, and says, go to Mount Tabor, which means the broken place, and at my command, you're going to go down into the Kishon River Valley, and Sisera and his army will be there, and you're going to destroy them. But here's what was happening. When Deborah arose, the song that I just read to you, she says, the Lord moved from basically Sinai to Canaan. And when the Lord came to the Golan Heights, guess what he started to do? There was a rainstorm. There were thunderstorms. But you couldn't see them, and you probably didn't know that they were there. And Deborah got prophetic insight to see that there was rain coming, and she said, the Lord's going to fight for you, and the Lord's going to rout them, but you have to answer the call. And so as soon as she gave the command to Barak, and the army marches down Mount Tabor, here comes Sisera in a place that had been a drought and dry and there was no water. So, th- so obviously he's bringing the chariots there. And what happens? As soon as Sisera and the 900 chariots get into the Kishon River Valley, a flood comes. But that flood didn't just happen. Long before it had been raining up in the mountains. And what I'm saying to you is we talk about the Lord going before us and you don't even realize the things he's setting up and that he's doing with great governmental leaders, with the nations, with the promises of God. And if you'll just stand in position and do what even the Deborahs say and step up to the plate and go to the broken, allow yourself to be broken, then God will start to reign in a place you don't even see and reroute the enemy when you need it the most. Woo! Yeah! That's powerful. Because some of you are saying, God, where are you? He says, I'm, I'm reigning over here on this mountain. You say, but that's not helping me right now. He says, well, uh, when you step up and answer the call, guess what? It'll flood and your enemy will get rerouted. So we sing, God's going before us. Oh, God's going before you. God, where are you? He's like, little do you know because you can't see. But I'll raise up prophets and prophetesses that will tell you about it. God is going to move on our behalf when you least expect it. Amen? All right. I'll finish this up with a few verses and we're going to pray. Psalm 91, verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, I'm going to deliver him. Now, I want you to notice it doesn't say because you, went, you did all the right things. Because you set your love upon him... He's going to deliver you. But if you keep trusting in self, you're going to miss it. You'll stay in the frying pan a little too longer. And there's a deliverance that's not momentary, but a lifetime. Okay? So David said, uh, the Lord said, I'll set him on high because he's known my name. He shall call upon me and I'll answer him. So we know his name and we call upon him and he delivers and he answers. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and I'll show him my salvation. When leaders lead, when people offer themselves willingly, when people set their love upon God, they see deliverance, freedom, life, and they don't walk in fear. In fact, they become overcomers instead of victims full of shame and retreating. Deliverance comes, the battle's won, God answers, we get honored, and we all get to see his salvation. And probably my favorite verse to sum this message up, which is a, a really a life scripture for me, is Proverbs 28, verse 1, the, the wicked flee even when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why would the wicked flee when no one's pursuing? Because they're constantly living in paranoia. That's like I used to live when I was, had drugs and running drugs, and every time I'd see lights behind me, or I was in constant paranoia. And when I was doing coke, I was in constant paranoia. And when you're living in sin, you'll live in paranoia and you don't even realize it, especially if you lay claim to the Lord. And so the wicked flee even when no one's pursuing because they're in constant fear. God doesn't want you to live your life in constant fear. He wants you to live bold as a lion. Bold as a lion comes from the righteousness of Jesus on the cross. You can't do it in your own strength. I'm made righteous because of his blood. But then I choose to live right because of who he is and what he said. And I know that if I honor him, he'll honor me. What does it mean to be bold as a lion? It means when adversity comes, I lean in and I move towards it instead of shrinking back away from it. It means instead of caving, 
clicking around, pornography, drugs, alcohol, all that stuff I used to lean on, I don't need it anymore because now I have a new strength. Do you understand? So what I'm really wanting to do is prepare you. I love you. I care about you. We're in this boat together. Some of you this morning are really hurting, and you're facing adversity. Your marriage is on the rocks. Somebody's lied or slandered you. You don't know how you're going to pay your next paycheck. You've spent it out with different men and different women in your life. Nothing satisfying. You feel disenfranchised. Even church dis is disenfranchising. And some of you just drug yourself here today, and I'm glad that you're here. But God is here, and he's here to do something great inside of you, and his presence will transform you if you'll respond. And he can break that spirit of apathy, and he can break your situation, and he can cause you to walk abundantly in the freedom that he has for you. That's what I want. And if you're battling depression, anxiety, fear, worry, loneliness, isolation, spinning out, anything that's adversity in the day of battle, if you are in the midst of the day of battle right now, I want to pray for you. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you're at. If you're going through it and you're in a major day of battle, I want to ask you to stand up right now. I know there's a lot of us here this morning. And you see you're not alone. And some of it's sickness, some of it's our health, some of it's uh, mental health, whatever it is, fear, worry, doubt, disbelief. And if you're a prayer partner or one of my leaders around, I want you to just go touch somebody. Just go get behind them. Thank you for being here because... Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day you get to walk in the freedom God's destined you to walk in. You don't have to take it out of this place. You don't have to live with it anymore. But I want you to surrender it up to him right now. Okay? Whatever it is, we're going to surrender it to him. So let's say this prayer together. Say, Lord, I surrender all. My situation, my family, my health, my finances, my friends and my very life. I'm going to stand in position, Lord. And I'm sorry for doing my own thing, going my own way, for not trusting, for walking in fear, disbelief, doubt, all the things that have held me back. I'm sorry for any compromise in my life, and I'm sorry, God, for not fully trusting you. But today, I'm going to trust you. Right now, I'm trusting you. That's why I'm standing. Come on, pray this prayer with me. Lord, you're the light of my life. You're the strength of my life. You're my salvation. And we all look to you as a family. All of us together look to you. And we trust that if we'll stand still, we'll see the salvation, the deliverance of the Lord in our life. So Lord, I ask that you would deliver me. Break me out of my situation. And whatever your situation is, just say it. Lord, break me out of fear, worry, doubt, my, my, any sickness in my life. Whatever it is, fear, the lies that other people are saying, my own shortcomings, my own inadequacies. I'm sorry, Lord. I put my trust in you. I'm sorry for spinning out. Sorry for being afraid. Help me, Lord. I'm looking to you. I don't want to walk in fear anymore. So I give it all to you. I know that I won't always be understood by others, but I know you understand me. And I know you're there for me when I need you the most. And Lord, I pray over everybody standing right now, and I pray, God, that they'd be quickened by your spirit. The words that you speak, their life, the flesh profits nothing. I pray, Lord God, for rhema words dropping into everybody's spirit right now, that they'd hear your voice, that they would be quickened by you to Walk upright, confident, and bold, and to be bold as a lion. Lord, we're tired of running in fear, even when no one's pursuing. So we run to you, and we trust you. And I thank you, God, that your righteousness makes us bold as lions. I thank you, Lord God, that even when an army's encamped around us, we will not fear. And I just pray for everybody standing right now, and I pray, God, that they'd be confident, hungry, thirsty, bold, and live flamed on. I just call you into living a flamed-on life spiritually, hungry and thirsty for God's word, and I call you into the worshiper that you're called to be. 
Worship with all your might. Sing with all your might in the midst of the storm. And I thank you, God, that we're all in this boat together and no one's here alone. Help us to not get offended. Help us, Lord, to uh, love the way you loved and trust the way you trust and help us to reach out for help from others when we need it. And I pray that you would unify us together as one and help us, Lord, to become everything you've called us to become and to bring effective change into this community around us. We love you, we thank you, and I bless every one of you in all that you do and put your hand to. In Jesus' name, amen.